we're in crisis mode. The, the world and the country's in crisis mode. How do we solve this problem to keep this business alive? This is the Insurance Technology Podcast, where we bring interesting people from across the insurance ecosystem to discuss and debate technology's impact on the industry. Join us each episode for insights and best practices from industry stewards and tomorrow's innovators. Now, here's your host, Reed Holsworth. Welcome to the Insurance Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Reed Holsworth. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Jason Griswold. Jason is the co-founder and CEO of Rain. We're going to learn a lot about Jason, about his childhood, and how he became the pop-up king and got into airplanes in a serious way. It's really, really cool story. Jason's an awesome guy. You're going to love it. Stay tuned. Jason, welcome. Well, Reed, this is awesome. Super fun to be here. And, and thank you guys for, uh, for having me and, and the rest of the crew just hang out and get to chat. This one's a little different because we're actually in person, which is nice. It's a nice little change. Yeah. Um, so Jason and I just got to know each other not that long ago. We met in InsureTech Boston. Um, just kind of hung out. We're having some beers, you know, shooting the shit. And uh, awesome story. And uh, you built a great business. So, um, yeah, welcome, man. I thought it'd be Thank great. You. Yeah, this is super fun. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Jason. I don't know. I don't know any of this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I love figuring it out as yeah. we go. Yeah. So, like... Where did you grow up? Like, where are you from? Like, so, who is Jason Griswold? Yeah, oh boy. Not to be concerned you know, with the Griswold. Yeah, spelled yeah, yeah. differently. He's spelled differently. You know, <laughs> the, the sad part is I used to get made fun of a lot because everyone was relevant with the movie. And now no, <laughs> oh, one, really? no oh, one knows. No, no one sees the movie anymore. Oh, so they don't even know. Yeah, they don't totally. even know. They don't even make fun of me anymore. So what's That's sad? Isn't that sad? That was such a, those are such great movies. Yeah. It was like the TSA agents love looking at my idea and be like, ah. Clark. And you're like, yeah, I know. It's funny. Great. Can I go now? And they don't even do that anymore. Um, but I did. Yeah, I grew up in uh, on a farm in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, outside, uh, as they say, Balmer, okay. uh, Balmer, Maryland. Um, and what uh, kind of farm? Like farm? It's a horse farm. Horse farm. So uh, what type of horses? Uh, all thoroughbreds, uh, racehorses. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and I used to you know, I used to ride races, hard to tell but by oh, my no larger figure, but yeah. I was uh, oddly a jockey for 15 years. Uh, you were a jockey for 50. Wow. Riding, riding, uh, uh, riding races. So um, it's called uh, timber racing or steeplechasing where you, you, you know, it's like car racing, except your own horses and you yep. got to get over a fence at 40 miles an hour, which a lot of times doesn't work out super awesome. So, oh wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was, uh, that was kind of in the blood, uh, early on. And, huh. uh, I don't know if you have a choice in those things or they just naturally <laughs> infuse that you do it. But, uh, I would say grow up growing up on a horse farm. That was the, the kind of scene is a, a bunch of us, you know, uh, you know, grandfather did it. My dad, all his buddies did it. And I used to watch my dad, you know, try to cut weight for, you know, every spring because none of us are jockey size, <laughs> which is challenging at best. And uh, I mean, we used to we used to cut I, mean, I cut 50 pounds uh, from January to May. Oh, man. To ride in these races. It's, for all you kids out there, it's not healthy. So don't do it. But that's uh, great. What do you do? Just not eat? You just don't eat and you work out and you and you just, you know. I would say in uh, in my 30s, it worked. And then I kicked over onto 40 and the process and my framework that I was like dialed into stopped working. Oh, wow. And so that's why I was, you know, 
my wife's like, I, I like to think you stopped because it was a dangerous activity, you know, because you have four children and it's not a good idea. I was like, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you, you are right there. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that was a kind of a crazy process. Um, and, uh, you know, managed to get out of there with not too many broken bones and, so what did you do for fun outside of that then? Growing up on a farm, a lot of fun things to do. Yeah. Or maybe it's boring. I don't know. I didn't grow up on a farm. No, I, I, I love taking, you know, we had, you know, motorcycles and four wheelers and we'd go ripping around the countryside and raise hell and everybody get pissed because you're running your, your, your four wheeler across their land. And, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was super fun. And, you know, we would, you know, back then in Maryland in the wintertime, the ponds would freeze. We'd skate all the time, oh, every nice. day, all day. Um, man, we used to, uh, we used to take that old forerunner that I told you about and we'd hook up a ski rope and we put one of our buddies in skis going down the driveway <laughs> when it would snow a lot. And that was a really bad idea. You know, uh, I think, I think, really. it yeah, fun. I think, steeple, I think steeplechasing was a better, uh, safer process than that. I mean, you, you hit a little pavement with a, with a, a sharp edge of the ski. <laughs> We probably should have used water skis instead of real skis. But yeah, that's all right. Everybody seemed to survive. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that does make more it kind of chafes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, it was just super fun growing up, and um, you know, got to you know be out in the outdoors, and that's honestly one of my passions is being outside. And nice, I've tried to expose that to my kids. My teenage kids are like, "Thanks, Dad. We we appreciate that, but we're going to move on from that." Uh, process of hiking and camping, but uh, I still have uh, a 14 who you met, Sam, and, and my 10 year old who still tolerate it. Uh, nice. My wife likes it, I think, or she tolerates it. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but yeah, love getting out and camping and, you know, getting outside. It's, it's good for the soul. Same. I've tried to like push that stuff on my kids and they're just, they're kind of over it, but it's funny. Ironically, like in the last week, my dad has been asking me, my dad, he's into hiking. I've done a lot of hikes. I love the outdoors like you. And my dad wants to hike Shasta, Mount Shasta. He lives out yeah. there in Northern California. Yeah. It's not like a huge hike. It's like, you know, 14.5. It's not yeah, like a yeah, big yeah. elevation. So it's, it's all snow. It's like glacier-ish yeah. stuff, yeah. Uh, which I don't love. But anyways, he's been asking me to do it for a while. And I, I was talking to my son about it. And he's like, hey, like he, he hit me up and he's like, hey, you know, I was looking into that Shasta thing and. I want to go and do that. Yeah. I'm like, why? He's like, well, that mountain, there's all this like mysterious things about it. Have you heard about this? All this like Mount Shasta I've heard of stuff? Mount Shasta, it's but like, I'm not sure I'm up on the mysterious. It's part. like, it's, they say there's like aliens that live in the middle of it. Oh, there's yeah. like vortexes. Like, I mean, it's all this like weird stuff. What was that Witch Mountain, there. that movie? Uh, the kids go to Witch Mountain or something? It's, like, yeah. Yes, it's like yeah. this. It, yeah. This is yeah. like, uh, maybe the movie was made after, I don't know. But anyways, and so uh, we're going to try to book it. So nice. that's cool. That's good. A 14er. That's a... Yeah, but it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah. So it'll be cool. Um, we're trying to book a, like a three day mountaineering type thing. Yeah. And so, you know, you do a little ice practice yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, but it's cool. You know, it's funny because it's like kids now, they just don't do it. No. It's crazy. Like, you know, you're here in my house. Like, I'm like, I would love to live here. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Sitting in front of the screen all day. You know, and we're not going to go off on this tangent because everybody goes off on this tangent. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's it's just it's like how do you get them to connect to the outdoors like we did as kids? Like I, I mean, I grew up in Laguna Beach, California, which is kind of city, but it was canyons everywhere. Yeah. I was never in the house, yeah. like ever. I right. came back like just smelling like sagebrush, right? You know, like seriously. I mean, or is at the beach, like 
Why, why wouldn't you? Be? There's actually a, a great book uh, called The Comfort Crisis, uh, and I can't remember the, the author. Um, and it's this whole concept of we're in AC all the time, right? Everything yeah. is regulated to like the mean. And it's like we, lost, we lost this kind of concept of, hey, go, go a day or two being hungry. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. True. Right. And, or the, and, and the book is really interesting. It goes down in this guy, super interesting, like uh, outdoor magazine author, I think, you know, covering alcoholic was like, dude, I'm in a bad place. Finally figured out, wait a minute, I got to go on this search, this kind of soul search of what it means to be dis, you know, this kind of non-comfort life. And he discovers all the science and all these cultures that kind of create discomfort, which is healing. It's happiness and healing. And instead of popping a pill, you're sort of creating a little uh, discomfort in your life. And this guy went in the the Alaskan bush for 30 days to go caribou hunting and sort of this kind of evolution, but it's an awesome read. And, you know, I kind of identified with it. Like, yeah, this is what I'm trying to help my kids. And hopefully, you know, instead of telling them you should not put your, you know, you should put your phone down. It's like, Mm -hmm. look at me like that. You're just as bad. I'm like, got it. But it's like, all right, let's go outside or let's go to the air show. And instead of looking at your phone, you're looking straight up in the sky. And it's just like, how do you find these things that identify with these these kids to be like, all right, I can put my phone down and, and engage, but never going to get rid of it. It's, it's crazy. It's wild, man. Like when um, my oldest, he's now 15. And I was, it's funny, people wouldn't believe this, but I was, I was this Cub Scout leader. Cub Scout and Nebos know, I, yeah, and Boy I'm, Scouts. I'm having a hard time with that. I know, right? Yeah, right. I don't care. It's cool. And so, um, but like you know, I was I was the leader for all these kids, and it's an, it's insane. Like they children, they're just so afraid of the outdoors. Yeah. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's the bugs. It's the things. It's the you know I can't touch that. And they're just like afraid of all this stuff. Totally. And you know, educating them on that. That's why, you know, that kind of program is nice because you kind of get them out there and they start to get used to it and, yeah. and whatnot. And I, and I think, but that's, it's all that stuff. It just dies off. Yeah. They're just not into it. No. You know, I mean, middle school and all those kids are done. They're done with that. My kids call it a uh, forced, uh, forced family fun uh, mm. when we do these things. And actually the, the bus I showed you is called uh, uh, MFJ for mandatory family joy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Now, there's so for context, you have a bus. What, what is what is the yeah, bus? Sorry. We're, we're, we're totally all over the place right now. But yeah, that's not, OK. Uh, no, I you know, look, like we've been talking about, like do stuff that's unpredictable. I thought it was be kind of cool to to retro a 40 foot school bus. And um, that's pretty cool. You know, typically my wife is the brake man in the relationship and she failed her job and thought it would be a cool idea to go get this bus. So I bought it on Craigslist. Uh, sight unseen. Uh, unlike you, I'm probably not that handy around the engine. <laughs> so I went to visit this guy and I brought the, my two younger boys. I was like, all right, guys, we're gonna go check out this bus. And they're like, what? I'm like, just get in the car. Let's go. It's like an hour away. And we, we meet this couple and they're trying to sell this bus. And, you know, I think they're very nice. We meet them. Great. Drive the bus. I don't really know what to look for. And we get home and I sent him an email, you know, thinking I'm like a good negotiator. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll probably take 50% off the price and send them a note. And they sent a note two days later. Well, that's acceptable to us. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I, I was like, I told my wife, I was like, I think I got to buy it now. Like that's protocol. And so 
I said, if you can get the bus an hour to my house, I will give you the cash for that bus. And so that was five years ago. And now we have a 40 foot school bus in our driveway. That was not part of the deal. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. What did you say? Mandatory family fam- joy. Family joy. Also known. I can't say it on the air, you know, mother, you know what, Jason. So uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, That's what my wife, wife calls, calls it. it. That's what your wife calls yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the yeah. truth comes out. Yeah, yeah. So what did your parents do growing up? Uh, so my, uh, my dad was in, uh, finance and, um, we, we, you know, super fortunate, uh, family started, uh, investment bank, Alex Brown, you know, back in the 1800s. Oh, wow. Family ran it till it went public. And, um, Oh, no kidding. So it's funny because the entire family went into banking. Yeah. And I remember leaving college and like, okay, you know, you're going into banking. I was like, eh. I don't think that's, that's going to be my, my bag. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, uh, it was, it was really fun to, I love the history of it and I really appreciate, um, you know, what those that were before us had to do to really run these businesses in times that were just so bad, right. During mm-hmm. the depression. I mean, h- how you made it was your decision away from not making it and affecting lots of lives. So, uh, it was really fun to, to learn and, and, and kind of, uh, be around that, but that wasn't really, you know, the, the, the finance banking side was not my bag. I was much more on the operations kind of liked getting out and getting hands dirty a little bit. So I, I sort of went into my own thing. What did you uh, want to do instead? Uh, what did well, you actually want to do? Cause it's here's what, what yeah. I do. So big difference. Yeah. What I wanted to do was continue to be on the farm playing with, you know, tractors and equipment. And, oh, really? You want to be a, a farm boy? Literally. I want. I want to dig holes with big equipment. I just love <laughs> playing around with that stuff. And I, I worked on a farm uh, uh, every summer for a while, making probably three bucks an hour. Super oh, oh, wow! Yeah, yeah, it, was, it was awesome. And um, oh. I wasn't very good at it, though. I remember I, I had You're to. Not put, good at digging holes. Well. So part of the job was you had to put together these big bat wing, you know, 40 foot bat wing mowers, right? The big, uh, if you ever seen these long, no. the big tractor mowers and then the bat wings come up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So those are 40 far- feet long. Oh, they're, they're wide, Holy massive, right? Oh Cause they're God. covering yeah, why, why, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of acres. So oh, wow. the guy whose farm I, I, I worked at, he would, you know, hire me and a couple of these guys and be like, all right, you guys, you know, they'd show up in boxes. You got to put them together. Mm. Well, I, you know, what do I know? I'm taking direction, putting it together. And, you know, next thing you know, the guy, you know, the next summer, I'm like, oh, I'm back for the job. He's like, well, the only issue is we got a lot of recalls on those bat wings because you didn't put the gearbox together right. And I mean, <laughs> I really screwed this thing up. So, so, but I loved being on a farm. I loved, um, you know, working with equipment and, um, you know, still play with it. Just huh. couldn't figure out how to make a, a living doing that. So, yeah. uh, so I went into, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of my early mentors uh, hired me uh, in the internet advertising days back in the 90s. Okay. It's like, okay, w- what is that? And it was like, yeah, we, we figured out technology uh, when bandwidth was an issue. We had a technology that was able to take really large flash file sizes okay. and actually cache them on the user's um, uh, machine and play in between page breaks off the cache and not the stream. So you can imagine, you know, rich media back then, we sort of defined the category. It was mm-hmm. all about offline TV and internet. Google didn't even exist at that point. Right. 
And so we developed this technology and it was super fun because we'd be able to go into General Motors and Ford and be like, all right, you're spending, you know, 50 million on these TV ads. Why don't you just take a fraction of that, put that creative online? We have the technology to go do the ad buy on Yahoo, AOL, Mm. MSN, Sportsline, whatever. And so we defined a category, which is super fun. And what I loved is uh, we spent six years defining the category and getting our teeth kicked in going into the creative guys at the TV side because we oh, were trying wow. to yeah, sort of sure. show them, yeah. hey, we can do 30 frames per second, sight, sound, and motion. You just got to put that in, you know, in the uh, in the technology and they would be like, get out of here. We're, we're, we do million dollar, you know, budgets. Well, you know what? After, after by the time we sold the company, those guys were coming looking for companies like ours to get a job because – why are they spending so much money on TV when they can spend it online and get the get so much more reporting? So super fun. Uh, early on, define the category, and we were fortunate to to make it. So what is and, what is the category? Exactly? The category was really rich media. So today, when you go you know online, there's rich media left, right, and center. Something you know other than a banner ad that's coming at you yeah. uh, with a creative. And so we, a lot of people say, "Oh, you're the pop up guys." Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, we were early on the the kind of super so like a, like really annoying pop up. Yeah, in some like way. the really? interstitial like the ones that would never go away. No, those were simple. These were the ones <laughs> those that actually were simple. yeah yeah <laughs> that played a creative and uh, you know depends how you look at it. Yeah, it was. So it you're was the pop up guy. Yeah, yeah. So you're the one to blame. Yeah, totally. Did you get like hate mail at yeah, some point. You know, afterwards it didn't matter. We were just <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we're getting it. Uh, yeah. So it was fun though. That was you know that was sort of online was let me buy a banner for you know a dollar per yeah. cost per thousand and, and get crappy returns. Yeah. Um, That's wild. Yeah. It was fun. What year was that roughly? Like, 99 to, oh, we sold in 05. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a wild time. Yeah. Right through nine eleven. I mean, oh, when nine eleven hit business just went from this to like nothing. Oh, we're yeah. like, and I, again, I was running sales, young guy. And I remember our, our CEO was like, Hey Jason, yeah. Can you call, our partner and figure out how we get paid. And I was like, well, that's not my job. Like, well, it is now because we're not going to make payroll next week. So you got to find, you got to get as much money as you can because our outstanding is massive. And you're like, Oh, this is serious. And you know, that to me was the best. I mean, I went to business school and did all that stuff in entrepreneurship. That's cool. You can learn that from a book, but that is where you learn how to deal with people and you had to work together to work it out because they're suffering too. Right. They're like, dude, I, I hear you, man, but you're one of 50 that I got to pay. And you're like, all right, well, how do we work this out? So I find things like that were, were very formative for me and just the experience. What way though, is it because you just had to really develop relationships at another level with people when it comes to that kind of stuff? Cause everybody's struggling. You're like, dude, like, come on, man, you gotta help me out. Yeah. Or, Cause know? if you went by the book and said, well, you owe me a hundred thousand dollars, like, yeah. well, I'm not going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars. And that's the end of the conversation versus like, look, I get it. You're out, you know, 90, 120, you know, our terms are 30. How do we work this out? Can I get a little bit now? Can we work out a plan? Like what, what's going to work for you? This is going to work for us. And like, there's nobody telling you how to go do that. Right. And there's no book on that. It's more like we're in crisis mode. The, the world and the country's in crisis mode. How do we solve this problem to keep this business alive? Mm. And so it's just things like that. And just being able to, you know, obviously, you know, employees, you know, that's a whole different ball game around that time. So there's a lot of learning yeah. uh, that you had to figure out or else you're not going to be around. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's wild. Those are wild times. So what so what happened after that? So, you, so, so, so they sold the business. So we sold in 05. And then at that time, I became a pilot. I was learning to fly. I was living in New York. Um, and I was flying back to Baltimore to go ride these crazy races. So I was going back and forth. Um, oh, flying. so you were like you were like jockeying like as a profession. Yeah. And, oh, well, okay. No, no, it was totally volunteer. Oh, right? this is okay. the sick part that okay. my wife was like, why do you do this? And I was like, well, it's just kind of what you do. Um, and so I would on the weekends go and go down to Maryland and ride in these races and um, get your fix. And then you come back. So you sold, hold on. So you sold, they sold the company and you're like, I'm just going to go be a pilot and I'm just going to race horses. So I had learned how to fly. Okay. And so what I did after I, we sold in 05, um, uh, went into the private aviation business that was mm. still pretty early then. And so I, I joined a company called Sentient Jet, which oh, was really one of the, company. Yeah. The, the early companies to monetize the one way, right? So yeah. Jet goes to California yeah. and it has to come all the way back empty. You know, how do you monetize that? Early NetJets. It's early, yeah. So NetJets sort of defined the category. I'd say Sentient perfected the kind of parts of the category. Okay. Wow. And so I sort of married the passion for aviation to business because I really like the business side of it. And so I joined there, uh, you know, was running acquisitions for them, trying to figure out how to acquire aircraft to put into the system so that they could resell. Oh, wow. So you didn't customers. go there as a pilot. You went no. there and worked for the company. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I never had aspirations to be a pilot full time. Gotcha. Uh, it was okay. more, I enjoyed flying. It was a passion. It was, you know, really exciting to me, you know, the, the challenge and, and the experience. Um, but I just wanted to combine the the two. Why not? You know, right. let's go for it. And so grew that company and then 08 hit and, you know, it was over levered and, you know, we split the company in parts. That's another fascinating experience. Um, and then at that time I started a aircraft leasing business in 2008, which is a great idea, right? You great know, idea. Great time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a great Hard time asset. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> how did that work out? <laughs> it worked out actually amazing. And I don't know how it's pure luck and stupidity, but, uh, you know, this is, so how did you, how did that, how did that come about though? You're just like, I'm over this thing. I'm going to do this other thing. It's so I, I, uh, like the worst time in history. Yeah. I had a friend in, in my hometown that was a, a big finance guy and he, okay. he had, uh, he had, uh, done these little investments on the side and I was like, that seems kind of interesting. You know, do you do more of those? And he's like, yeah, I don't really pay attention or do any research on it. I was like, well, maybe I'll take a run at that. He's like, great. How about it? So we set up a little company, Brown Aviation Lease, and uh, we probably had 20 bucks to our name in the, in the account to start the bank account or whatever the minimum was. And great, we're a leasing business. What the hell does that mean? And we got really fortunate that uh, uh, an awesome uh, college in in uh, Michigan uh, out of Kalamazoo, Western Michigan University, um, had uh, recently uh, put in an order for 30 aircraft, uh, these Cirrus aircraft. Wow, um, why? For like a uh, for, flight program? Yeah, they have yeah. a huge pilot training oh, program okay, yeah, to send yeah. them into the airlines. Right. Um, and so at the time, GE was there, and then GE decided they didn't want to do that. So this school was left with nothing. They had no ability to fund it because they were going to do a lease with GE. And the, the salesman found out for whatever reason that we had started this thing. And I was like, he doesn't know we have no money, does he? <laughs> <laughs> so he called me up, and I literally flew to Kalamazoo. And I'm like on the way to the meeting, and I'm calling my partner like, I don't understand finance or leasing. Like, what do I do? It's like, it's like, just go talk, just go talk to the guy. So I literally spent all day with the Dean of, um, of uh, the college who today is just a great friend and awesome guy. And he clearly saw 
I didn't know what I was doing, but yeah. kind of liked that I was there and he didn't, maybe he didn't have a lot of options. I don't know. And I remember he's like, look, man, it doesn't sound yeah, like it. Yeah. He's like, you know, we got to close in 45 days. Like if you can figure something out, the deal's yours. I was like, great. Walked away. I'm like, I come up with what it was 15, $20 million. And, you know, Jesus, and, yeah. but you know what? It's like, like, you know how it works. You just, you figure it out. And mm-hmm. we were through luck. I wouldn't say anything other than luck. We were able to to have some relationships with bankers that were willing to fund as long as we could come up with the equity and we were able to pass the hat around and figure it out. And we did this deal and it turned out to be an unbelievable opportunity and deal. And we became a client for 10 years of Western Michigan, at least wow. of aircraft. And we grew that business. I think we had over a hundred aircraft uh, when we sold oh, it this year. Man. It, was, it was awesome. Yeah. It was a good run. When did you sell it? Uh, a couple months ago. Actually. Really? No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. Free bus. Yeah, yeah. Or an after yeah. bus. Yeah, after bus. After yeah, yeah. bus. We didn't throw the bus in the leasing business. <laughs> I wanted to. That would have been better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Jason Griswold, folks. What an amazing story. I mean, this guy is something else. Starts a business with basically nothing in an account. Goes out and closes a massive deal. Long-term deal it ends up. But at the time, didn't know it. They had to go raise 20 million bucks to make this deal a reality goes and gets it done. I mean, that's not faking it till you make it. That is making it. That is doing it. I always say, go out and close deals. What did he do? He didn't go out and build the best technology or do all this entrepreneurial stuff. He went out and closed a a monster deal and got it done. And then what did he do? Just sold the business a couple months ago at the time of this recording. And I don't know what he sold that business for, but I'll tell you what, 100 planes. I mean, that's legit, like seriously legit. What an awesome, awesome story. In the next episode, we learn how Jason got into insurance and all the work he's done around drones. Really, really cool stuff. Stay tuned. The Insurance Technology Podcast is a production of Ivan's. Visit insuretechpod.com to contact us, suggest a topic or guest for an upcoming show, and subscribe to be notified when our latest podcast is available. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, It's where you can also leave us a rating and a review that helps other people find the show. Thanks for listening.